0: The people who are curious about what's happening with the most important object in the universe,
1: and that is your mind.
0: Micho Kaku, thank you again. And thank you for joining us this afternoon. Stay tuned. Up next is Chris Welch. You're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno at 88.1 FM, and all the time at kpfa.org.
2: and I guess all those things you always pine for, gee. Pete Seeger is not that singer, and this is not him playing the piano. But he and I have the same birthday, May 3rd, different years, Pete Seeger, uh, who am I thinking of, Golda Meir, Nicola Machiavelli, and James Brown, okay, on May the 3rd, I'm just saying. My name is Chris Welch, and I am very happy to be here uh, today, Uh, and I wish that Pete Seeger were here with us today, but unfortunately he died just a few uh, weeks ago, it seems, days ago, on the 27th of this year, a long and very productive and very uh, positive effect of life of a folk singer and activist And we are sorry that he's no longer with us. We're so grateful that we had so many years with him. And I'm especially delighted today to be able to share some information with you, some sounds uh, of things, gifts that we're wanting to offer you, along with your uh, phoned-in support for listener-sponsored radio. There's such a plethora of stuff that we have. There's a, a five or a six. I don't even know how many CDs of his collected music. Uh, and then there is a series, a radio documentary series. And then there's a DVD. So I think we should just start with uh, some Sound and in fact, what we're first going to hear from is, I believe, from the uh, radio documentary series, uh, and that is, uh, "How Can I Keep from Singing?" and this is produced by David King Dunaway, who in fact used to work here at KPFA. He was did the then known as then the morning concert. Uh, one day a week. And this is a three hour documentary series originally distributed by PRI, not Pacifica, and his uh, decades of research into all kinds of music. He was a uh, music, uh, P- David is a music historian, etc. And he did over 150 interviews with Pete Seeger, among many other musicians, along with his friends and et cetera. And this is sort of the inside story of of Pete's career and life, which were so closely entwined. They weren't separate at all. Uh, Mr. Pete Seeger, how can I keep from singing? And here's uh, just a selection from it, a, a cut from it to give you a taste of what you would be getting when you call 1-800-439-5732. It's very possible that I would not have been a musician. I would just save music
3: uh, to be something to have fun with. And I could have been very happy as a forest ranger or a newspaper reporter. I really want to be a newspaper reporter.
1: That's the voice of Pete Seeger, perhaps the most controversial musician in American history. Yet more than anyone, Seeger has kept America singing by reminding us of our shared musical past. He's taught old songs to millions and shaped our country's national repertoire. Pete Seeger became the first musician in American history to be formally investigated for insurrection. What made him and his music so dangerous? The answer begins long before the FBI began chasing after folk singers. Back in 1919, when Constance Seeger gave birth to her third child in New York City. Here, in a 1976 recording, he recalls his upbringing.
3: I was born into a very easy life in many ways. My parents were professional musicians, and when they split up, I went... Spent my vacations with my grandparents who had a lovely private house in the country. I didn't live in an ivory tower, but I lived in a woodland tower. I loved to go out hiking, and I actually knew so little about the world it's funny. I mean, I was a babe in the wood. I knew all about plants and animals and who could identify birds and snakes. I didn't even know that anti Semitism existed. I didn't know what a Jew was until I was about
0: 14 years old.
3: My contact with black people was literally zero. My grandparents were very conservative, Republican, respectable people. I remember at age six seeing a cartoon in a newspaper, a fellow with a beard and a bomb in his hand. And I said, who's that? He said, oh, that's a Bolshevik. He wants to blow up everything.
4: My family was not uh, connected with any of the very famous names of uh, colonial New England.
1: Dr. Charles Seeger.
4: They were more or less middle class, businessmen, preachers, teachers, and that sort of thing, who didn't attain great wealth. There, I think, you'd find a, a rather healthy descent uh, coming right down from the Puritan uh, descent in England and the reason for the colonization of New England. My father's convinced that great classical music was going to save
3: the human race. After graduating from Harvard with very high marks in music, he met the president of the University of California, who was impressed by this very self-confident young man. He was appointed to build up a music department. His fellow professors radicalized him, though. One of them took him out to the lettuce fields in the valley, and he saw little kids that could have been his own children working for pennies out there. Came back and made a speech. This is disgraceful that such things should be happening in America. But when World War I came, he made speeches against imperialist war and got fired. My mother said, can't you keep your mouth shut? You're not going to be drafted.
1: Pete Seeger's father was the first person to teach ethnomusicology, or folk music, at an American college. Pete's mother was a violinist at the Juilliard School of Music. But like many a six-year-old, Pete found practicing at the piano or violin unexciting. Instead, he'd strum on the auto harp or ukulele. Note that many of these interviews and recordings are more than a half-century old.
3: Whistles, are almost anything that made music, I banged on. I didn't want to study it. I was
4: just having fun. There had to be a different story every evening. Well, you know the story of the frog song. That was a particularly favorite one.
3: I usually tell people, half-jokingly, that I became a communist at age seven. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, I read every book by Ernest Thompson Seaton that I could get. And he held up the American Indians as role models. They shared whatever they had. If there was food, everybody in the tribe ate. I found some congenial people uh, among the students, and I didn't bother with the others. They were learning to smoke, and they were listening to jazz and organizing dances. I didn't have money to go to any of those things. As a very immature, very naive, rather bookish kid. I did probably better than normal in Mm -hmm. Avon because I ran the newsletter. You know, the first year there, I've shined shoes to try and get a little more allowance. In 1929, the crash came. My father's convinced that, well, this is the end of the free enterprise system. And instead of just joining the Socialists, he joined the Communists, who were among the bravest and most active. He needed a job. He tried teaching at the New School. There he met Thomas Hart Benton, who liked to, every Saturday night, invited friends. One of them was Jackson Pollock. And they'd sit around playing John Henry and other songs. I, when I was on vacation, I sat in with them. First time I ever heard John Henry. John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his papa's knee, and he picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel, cried, a hammer's gonna be the death of me, Lord, Lord, hammer's gonna be the death of me, cried, a hammer's gonna be the death of me, hammer's gonna be the death of me. Now the captain, he said to John Henry, I'm gonna bring...
2: Oakland police investigating a carjacking and kidnapping. It happened near the Safeway on Redwood Road about 1 this afternoon. The victims are an elderly man and a teenage girl. The kidnapper is described as a black man in his 40s who is 5 feet 7 and weighs 165 pounds. He was wearing a blue jacket and blue jeans. Police received calls regarding a suspect who was observed entering a vehicle and reportedly forcing the driver to drive away. A child was reportedly seen in the rear seat. The vehicle was described as a red 2001 Infiniti California license plate 6JFM648. Once again, that license plate number 6JFM648. This concludes the activation of the emergency alert system.
4: Claire in Berkeley. Uh, this is a group here of good musicians who are moved by the depression and are trying to make music that can go right out in the streets and be used, uh, protests and things like that. I think you might be interested
1: in it. Dr. Charles Seeger.
4: And I went into the collective, as we called it. The crucial thing was that, you, that I learned by experience there. Myself trying to write music that people would sing under the occasions that were specified and watching other people try to do it who were trained musicians. Just among us, we sang some of our own rounds, especially Siegmeisters. There were three brothers named Japant. There were three brothers made, DuPont, named DuPont. Patriots are they, they make the money from munitions in an honest way. They love their country, right or wrong, but when yen or lira come along, they always very cheerfully to anyone will sell shells that will all armor, pierce an armor that will stop each shell. (laughs)
1: The Great Depression's layoffs and foreclosures spread like the dust storms pushing people west. Researchers from the Library of Congress interviewed two of its survivors, Flora Robertson and Tom Higginbottom.
0: We looked in the north and thought it was the blue norther coming. Such a huge black cloud just looked like smoke out of a train stack or something. Nineteen and thirty-four. The one who got near to the house, we was all afraid, and we ran into the storm house. We lit the lamp, and it was just so dark in there that we couldn't see one another. We just had, to, even with the lamp lit, and we just choked and smothered. We had to tie wet rags over our mouth, and we wet blankets and hung over the windows. And the old timers said they'd never seen nothing like that. The Depression, to me, mean, means looking at people standing on soup lines. Uh, the Depression means waiters who were paying three or four bucks just to get an opportunity to work a supper or to work a dinner. The soldiers at that time, that is the fellows who had fought for democracy over in Germany and came back and trying to look for here, they were out of work. They were walking the streets, not only of Chicago, but the streets of South Carolina, the streets of... West Virginia. And after that, I don't know, I kind of took to the road. I hit the highway to be what's called a rambling man or a hobo or a tramp in 1927.
1: Woody Guthrie. People's possessions were dumped on the street. Sometimes people banded together to put them back and challenge the authorities. New Deal historians interviewed A.S. Johnson on foreclosures in the Depression
0: it got so that the farmers couldn't stand it anymore, they'd see the neighbors sold out. There were no purchasers to speak of because there wasn't any money. So the little that the farm sale would produce wouldn't pay the bills. First they'd take the farm and then they took your working materials, your livestock and farm machinery and even the household goods. Everything was mortgaged. And that'd move you off. The judge in Plymouth County Court had a habit of very quickly and easily giving a deficiency judgment. So these farmers that gathered this particular day, they decided that we'll be down and we'll teach that judge a lesson. They marched into the courtroom, hats on, demanded to see the judge and to visit with him, and he decided that he would teach them a lesson and so he says, Gentlemen, this is my court. I want you to remove your hats. They just laughed at him. And so this argument kept on until they got rougher and rougher, and they finally went up and drug him from his chair, pulled him down the steps of the courthouse, shook a rope in front of his face, and then tired and feathered him. The governor called out the National Guard and put some of these farmers behind barbed wire.
4: you just imagine. You don't forget these things.
1: Charles Seeger.
4: So when the depression hit me, and the chance to make music for the people who are really suffering depression, it was a great emotional experience. My father, he had a theory that a new
3: society would require new music. Of course, his theory didn't work out so well, and I've often told people how the proletariat was not interested in the songs produced by the composers' collective in 1932 and 33 and 34. That's when he himself decided he should look into folk music. I've often told the story about him bringing Aunt Molly Jackson to the collective, and they listened to her for half an hour and said, but Charlie, this is music of the past. We're supposed to be creating the music of the future. Dissonant counterpoint and so on. And he takes Molly back to her little... One-room apartment said, Molly, I'm sorry they didn't understand you, but I know some young people who are going to want to learn your songs, and I'm sure I was one of them. I was off in prep school at the time. There was Aunt Molly. John C.I.O.,
0: come John C.I.O. I am a union woman, just brave I as can I can be. be. I do not like the bosses, and the bosses don't like me. I was raised in Kentucky,
2: in Kentucky born and bred, and when I joined the union, they called me a Russian Red, John C.I.O., come
0: John
4: C.I.O. The collective should have gotten together and made songs and sung to people, and if the people like one song more than another, then they make more songs in that style. Well, that's what Peter did.
1: Charles Seeger went to Washington, D.C. to start a family and work in the New Deal. This was when liberals and radicals were joining forces in a popular front, and folk music was popular in the Roosevelt administration. Charles Seeger's second wife, Ruth Crawford Seeger, transcribed folk songs for the Library of Congress. John Lomax and his son Alan worked there, too, and lived nearby.
3: Lomax started the idea... I want to collect these old songs and make the younger generation realize these are the best songs in America. Far better than the pop song being written in the cities. Far better than the art song being written by the conservatory trained songwriters.
1: Bess Lomax, Alan's sister.
2: He saw the contemporary movement to create new songs, particularly by people like Aunt Molly, as exact The parallel to Elizabeth and Bard singing scandalous songs about queens and their goings-on, that, in terms of the folk song academic movement, was a very radical position. In that day, a folk song had to be old in order to be a folk song.
1: The Lomaxes and Seegers were possessed by folk music's nobility of spirit, its raw elegance. They were revivalists and romantics, Inspired to save the old songs. They made an old discovery that we all have musical roots. That the source of what makes us musically distinct lies in our collective memory.
2: That's the voice of David Dunaway. Uh, now a professor at the University of New Mexico. He also was a distinguished professor of uh, communications, broadcasting, and documentary studies I beg your pardon, uh, in, uh, at San Francisco State University. And he has produced this three-hour documentary, radio documentary series, uh, entitled, How Can I Keep From Singing? Pete Seeger, How Can I Keep From Singing? Based, as you can hear, uh, on his own interviews with Pete, as well as, uh, material with featuring Pete's father and Woody Guthrie and, uh, just everything that sets, uh, the man and his music in the times from which he came and the times which he influenced, which of course, since he was uh, 94 when he died is uh, a great deal of American history and we're not only blessed that Pete was here to uh, provide us with his energy and his passion and his politics uh, through his music and through his charisma as a performer but also that he uh, to get these 94 years encapsulated in this documentary 94 years of our own history and in a way that uh, he lived it as a politically active person, as a compassionate person, as a, a person who was aware of class differences and imperialism and capitalism and all that kind of thing. Of the very uh, as an intellectual and as an activist, and he he expressed that. So we're getting the kinds of things that were not printed in the newspapers at the time or now, and the picture of. Uh, That interview with the uh, gentleman uh, from the uh, governmental interviews at the time about what happened to farmers during the Great Depression, wow, you know, that... uh, That farmers would be that active now. Of course, farming has turned a great deal into agribusiness, but not totally. Or or just the activism generally that people had, and even. And I think there's the same kind of activism now. Activism now, and we just don't hear about it often enough. And that's what that that's what Pete always did was get you going and make you realize that you can do this, and it makes you and you feel better about your your role in the world. Get you all singing. Pete Seeger, how can I keep from singing? We're celebrating Pete Seeger today. We're fundraising on KPFA, and so you, as a listener, really luck out. A, you get to listen to this stuff, and B, you get to hear about how you can get your own copy of the whole thing, because obviously we're not going to be playing the whole three-hour series for you. So the Ballad of Pete Seeger... I beg your pardon. The three-CD set of Archival Radio Interviews and Music, How Can I Keep from Singing that we're listening to here, can be yours when you call KPFA at 1-800-439-5732, 1-800-439-KPFA, $125, and this three-CD set will be yours. And in the great richness of uh, Pete Seeger's production in our own uh, collection of it, we also have a five-CD set of Pete Seeger's music. It's called Pete Seeger, a Favorite, American Favorite Ballads. And let's just hear a little bit of that one, if you would, Jill, the first one. This song was number one on the charts in 1950 for 13 weeks, boys and girls. It was um, written by Lead Belly, and it was the Weavers, the musical group that Pete sang in and of course they were going great guns until the House Un-American Activities Committee in the McCarthy era came along and then they all were blacklisted and Pete in fact was uh, served with contempt of Congress because he his behavior before the committee but this one I remember very well too because my grandmother's name was Irene and we used to just sing goodnight Irene to my grandma you gotta sing along with these things Pump up the volume a little bit.
0: You in
2: my okay. You can get this five-CD set and sing along with all of them. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of songs in here on this five-CD set of just music. And that's yours for $175 to listener-sponsored radio when you call one 800 439 5732, 1 800 KPFA, or go online at kpfa.org. And here he goes. Here's the chorus. I
1: mean, good night.
2: Well, this is too much fun, and we have to move right along. Uh, we have the so the uh, three CD set of the radio documentaries. Pete Seeger, How Can I Keep from Singing, the five CDs of these wonderful songs, which you can sing along with your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors and all that stuff for years and years and years and years and years, and years to come. Classic, traditional music that has never gone out of style. From uh, who knows when th- these began? To uh, this is the very last thing he was writing, and all of the songs that he wrote, which are you think, which are folk music, which means you think of them as that belonging to the people and made up by, you know, nobody in particular. But he wrote "Where Have All the Flowers Gone?" He wrote "If I Had a Hammer." He wrote "Turn Turn Turn." Major hits for other performers. And, uh, they're, they're just classics. And then we have the DVD, which then you can sit with your children and watch it because they are not going to have him in their lives as we have had, been blessed to have. And the DVD is entitled The Battle, The Ballad, pardon me, uh, The Ballad of Pete Seeger. And, uh, it's uh, for 125 dollars to listener sponsored radio. So one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two one eight hundred four three nine KPFA. I think we should go ahead and hear some more from uh, David's uh, radio documentary. Uh, How can I keep from singing? You can get this entire package of the music, the DVD, and the radio documentary uh, for 360 dollars to listener sponsored radio. One eight hundred four three nine five seven three two. him
1: Lamar Lunsford, the first person to play the five-string banjo for Pete Seeger. Well, I listened to a five-string and I just couldn't figure what it was doing. It went too
3: fast, like tap dancing. But around 1938, I think it was, after I left college, when I was living in New York, my father showed me the basic, I went, ding, I boom but i didn't know about pulling off on the strings or hammering down both terms in which i invented incidentally in 38 and 39 i was trying to play a banjo but i just couldn't figure out how they got that rippling note. and uh, it wasn't until 1940 when i spent a summer and fall down south in alabama and kentucky And I watched people like Rufus, Crisp, Frail, Banjo, that I finally found the different styles. And I came back and and I transcribed records. Now I knew what they were doing. I'd write down note for note what some of the Library of Congress records had on them. And now I know how they got the note.
1: Bess Lomax remembers Pete Seeger in the early 1940s.
2: He was tall, thin, bony, big Adam's apple, blonde, fair-skinned, pink-cheeked, very charming boy. Kind of a youthful enthusiasm about him. He really sparkled.
1: Alan Lomax was best Lomax's brother and a folklorist in New York. Alan was
3: like a son to my father. He was only four years older than I am, however, much more experienced. Alan was in New York in 38, I guess, and while visiting him there once, there was Love Belly. And Alan says, Oh, Ludbelly, I want you to meet uh, Pete. Uh, he's Charlie Seeger's son. And Belly, like, Oh, Charlie Seeger's son. And he very politely shook my hand.